Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth, signing on to the sign-off. It's the podcast where we tell you all the things you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports marketing. We have been blessed with guests so far on this podcast. We've had Daryl Sittler, we had Rocket, and today's guest is no exception. You know him and love him with his time with Sportsnet. His name is Ken Reed, but did you know about his love for trading cards? That's what we're going to sit down with him and find out. We go in and out of that concept, and we end up talking about the time that we spent with him writing Eddie Shack's biography, and we even get into NFTs. So for those of you who aren't familiar with what NFTs are, I highly suggest that you give this one a listen. Uh, We do our best to explain the concept behind them, our intentions in entering that market, and sort of the world's perception, right or wrong, of what they represent. uh, You need to bear with us on this episode. It was such a shame. We had such a great interview. We all felt great after it, only to realize there were some slight audio issues with the recording, a little bit of clicking and a little bit of buzzing. We did our best to remove it, but you will notice some of that, especially in the early goings. Hopefully, it's not too much to deter you because I can promise you that inside this interview, there is a ton that you are not going to want to miss. Ken Reed, what can I say? He's born to talk, and he does a great job at that over the course of the 45 minutes or so we spend with him. So without further delay, we're going to cut to him, and we will see you guys on the other side. And welcome back to the sign-off. We're here once again, uh, an episode that I've been very excited for. Obviously, you would have heard this in the introduction, but we're joined by a very special guest, someone who's been near and dear to the hearts of Frameworth for quite a while. We've been together in uh, quite a few uh, projects that we've been working on. We're here with Ken Reed of Sportsnet, uh, recent inductee into the Whitby Hall of Fame, 2021 no, no, member. not the Whitby. I was their guest speaker. Oh, you were their guest speaker. But I am a member of the Picto County Sports I was going to say, because you're from <laughs> Picto County. When, but, when were you inducted into the Picto Hall of Fame? Victor County Sports Hall of Fame, I think it was, uh, it was 2019, pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, the Where world the was hell a different is place. Picto? <laughs> so I actually have, uh, I, I've been accused, Picto County is in Nova Scotia. Oh, okay. I, I have a uh, uh, sort of history with that place. Sorry, Troy and Trina. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's an hour and a half from Cole Harbor. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, I always get accused from my friends out there for saying it wrong. How, how is my pronunciation? Picto County. That's good. That's good? Except if you're from Pictou County, it's Pick County. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it, I feel like I, I had too many consonants and too many vowels yeah. in that it's when like, I said where that. where are you from? Pick County. Where are you from? Cole Harbor. Let's go then, buddy. <laughs> that kind of thing. You're bringing me back to my university days. Yeah. Uh, also joined, obviously, by Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth. Um, I'm excited to get you into this. You don't say dad? Uh, okay, so no, here's... don't let, do let that. Let me get his opinion. Okay, so Ken, I respect everything you do on Sportsnet. I think you have a great energy, a great sense of humor. Yeah. Um, I started this off in the interview with Daryl Sittler. I called called him dad or daddy and then i told daryl like I'll, I'll try to avoid calling him dad or daddy yeah after the episode he approached me and said you gotta stop doing that well, you cannot do you can't call me dad on the podcast well the dad's okay daddy yeah, sounds daddy's goofy. a little yeah in the words of so so i get a lot of my broadcasting acumen from uh one of the greatest managers in the history of the WWF, then Slick, okay. the master of style, who said honesty is the best policy. Mm-hmm. So you just go with what's right. So it's it's dad or it's Brian, whatever whatever you call the old man at home or at yeah. work, you know. 
Okay. Mr. Aaronworth. But, but yeah, yeah, he makes me call him sir at home, so I guess that's what I'm going to be calling you there from you now go. on. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm actually so excited for this episode is because uh, working in sports memorabilia uh, for as long as we have, we get asked all the time about trading cards. Mm -hmm. uh, now, it's it may not be apparent to people who are just fans of you know collecting autographs, cards, whatever it is, uh, that those are kind of two different industries, very mm -hmm. specific industries. Mm -hmm. So at Frameworth, our experience with trading cards is almost nil. We don't know a ton about it apart from, apart from the fact that, you know, Wayne Gretzky's rookie card is worth quite a bit. Right. You are the opposite. You have a ton of experience. You've written two books, literally written the book on yeah. trading cards. Yeah. Hockey card Hockey stories. Card yeah. stories. Yeah. And that's, uh, and so there's two of those and you've been collecting your entire life. Mm -hmm. um, I want to sort of talk about that to get your perspective. I kind of want to treat this as like a learning opportunity for ourselves. Okay. Um, and, and what I want to start with is just a couple questions about your perception of collecting cards. Did you start collecting cards more as uh, just something fun to do? Was there ever an intention of collecting, you know, amassing a fortune through these things? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe not exactly as a kid, but eventually, did you know that you had something valuable with it? Or was that never the, the goal with you? Yeah. So, I mean, I was like a lot of other kids in the 1980s, right? You just bought a pack. Right. Uh, they were 25 cents, 25 cent pack of Opeachy. So, I mean, I specifically remember going to the Hector Arena where I grew up in Picto and you, you'd go to Friday night skate and you'd pay a buck to get in. You'd buy a couple uh, they were these football shaped bubble gums that were hard as rock at the canteen <laughs> and you could literally snap them like this. Then you'd buy a few packs of hockey cards. We'd open, open them. We'd chew the gum in those. We might trade during skating. The next night you'd go to the Picto Mariners junior C game. You'd pay a buck to get in. You'd buy a program for 50 cents. You'd buy two more packs of cards and I just, I loved the cards because for me, growing up in a place that was 12 hours from the nearest uh, hockey team, which was Montreal, and that was if you were speeding on the drive, <laughs> um, you were a long way away from the NHL, and yeah. you only saw the NHL, that was back in the old one night, one game one night a week of the Hockey Night in Canada days. So for me, as a hockey freak, I wanted to know as much about hockey as I could. So I, I we'd get Hockey Digest, the Hockey News, and I'd buy the cards, and I'd devour everything on the card and I'd flip over the back and I'd read everything on the back. And as I got older, I'd, I'd hear about a guy playing in the NHL and I'd say, he didn't play in the NHL. He didn't have a card. Oh, but I didn't realize that not everybody had a card. Oh, back then, right? interesting. The sets were smaller. So then as I got a little bit older, I remember my mom brought back a price guide from spring training in 1987. And I discovered that baseball cards were actually worth money. Oh, okay, okay. That Roger Clemens 85 I had was worth 15 bucks. That blew my mind. So light switch went on. I became this... 80 bucks? No, like 15 bucks in 1985. Oh, I was going to say inflation, so, yeah. So I went from kid that just collected cards to, wow, this these are worth something. So I right. thought that was kind of cool. So I just started hoarding everything. And then by the time, you know, 1990 rolls around, uh, there's the card boom hits. There's giant shows in Halifax with mm -hmm. 200 tables and there's all these old men dealers, and then there's me and my brother and a couple <laughs> buddies that are selling our doubles, and we're walking. Oh, so you'd, you'd get a, a, a oh, spot yeah. there. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd run a table. I'm, I mean, my buddies would be working at McDonald's or Sobeys, and uh, I would sell cards. I'd do a couple shows a year. My name would be in the program. My brother and I had our own business cards that my Amazing. mom made. And I'd, you know, I'd, like if you're 15, 16 years old and you – spend all day at a card show and you buy a bunch of cards and sell your doubles and you walk out with 800 bucks. That's a good day. It's not bad. Big time. Yeah, that's a big day. So then uh, I, I kept collecting. Then, you know, I went to, uh, I went away to college and I 
what was it? Oh yeah, I discovered girls. Oh, so then, right. <laughs> so uh, telling, talking to somebody about your uh, nineteen ninety, you know, uh, I don't know, Owen Nolan rookie wasn't sure. a good way to. It wasn't good bar conversation oh, in college. That's got to be my problem. Right. That's why I'm yeah. thirty two and single. Right. Okay. Exactly. All so, right. So collecting went away until I basically moved here to Toronto eleven years ago, and I got the bug again because I moved a lot of my stuff. That was back at my dad's uh, back here, and I just got back into cards again. And now, now the the boom is back. It's, it's back. like nineteen ninety all over again. It's Huge. like a gold rush. Now yeah. I've heard it. I've heard you say that you, and this could have been from a couple of years ago, that you have over fifty thousand cards in your collection. Yeah. Has I've, it grown to more than that? Uh, I have a very unhappy wife, so it's it's, <laughs> it's around there. It's 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 uh, sure that has anything to do with the cards. Yeah. <laughs> does does yeah. your wife have any interest in the cards themselves, or is she just put uh, up with it? Uh, she puts up with it. Okay, she's fair. nice. So the, our linen closet's full of cards, but I'd say around fifty thousand. Yeah, and there's still some, still a bunch back home in Nova Scotia that I got to truck up here. Now, what would your what would your split between uh, you? You've kind of talked. Uh, I've read a couple of your articles about uh, common cards or what people yeah. sort of call com common cards, and yeah. there's a big difference between those cards and what would end up fetching a lot of money. And sure. you actually have a a large affinity. You've said towards the common cards. Yeah, I like I like the stuff that people consider junk. Yeah, because... and is that is that more because it's uh, a, a like a snapshot of a bygone era, or are you are you still into the stats, still into collecting uh, everything? I think uh, the the snapshot of a bygone. Era. I'm a I'm a hockey romantic, so yeah. I like looking back at guys with their their mullets, and I look around. Yeah. You know, I look around this room, and I'm attracted to the Bobby Orr picture, and, and like for sure, you know, you know how Bobby looked back in the day, and yeah, and I'll look at any card from the '60s or '70s, and I just it, it takes me back there, and, and the cards from the '80s that aren't worth much takes me right. back to when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah, and you and all your doubles that you would have had. I'm sure yes. that you. So of your fifty thousand, how many of those would be doubles, or have you have you? Oh, great question. Uh, that's an interesting question. And I want an exact number. Yeah, yeah. I'd say probably a 70-30 split, maybe okay. something like that. That's you not know, bad it's at funny, all. Uh, just recently, um, we uncovered during our inventory, we yeah. uncovered boxes and boxes and boxes of cards that had still the cellophane on them. The, uh, so they were not touched. And we didn't do a lot in cards, as you mentioned, but um, from time to time we get them and break break them down and put them in our frames right right to enhance the frame so if it was um, well the tall boys are famous cards that mm -hmm. came out in the 60s and uh, we had sets of those and and we put them around a picture of johnny bauer autograph mm -hmm. just to make a nice piece of wall decor but after a while they stopped selling so we ended up just putting the boxes aside and we uncovered them so <laughs> So I'm thinking now I'm reading all about how this card market has gone through the roof right. and I'm hearing Wayne Gretzky's this is sold for hundreds of thousands and whatever it was. So I'm thinking we must have a gold mine here. So I call Ken up and I say, Ken, I, one thing about this business that I've pretty much found out is it's not the most ethical business in a lot of ways. <laughs> okay. okay. I want to buy a watch. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would never leave your collection with somebody and ask them to assess it because the good cards would be gone is basically Sometimes, what I Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Depending on the... So Ken's the only one that I would trust to kind of take a look at I, it. I noticed right as you said that, Ken took a sip of water. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. that looked a little sketchy. And, and I looked to the left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Up and to the left. That's how you know. So I had him come in here thinking... What a gold mine. And after he spent a good, oh, I don't know, five, six hours here looking through everything, he said, well, the problem is, he says, you've got a lot of cards 
He said, but it came, they came from 1992 or three or yeah, something. Yeah. He says that was the era that they're pretty much worthless. It's, oh, wow. What, what do you the, call it? Junk wax era. Junk wax. Junk now, wax. Now, when we say pretty much worthless, uh, if you go back two years, the boxes you have, if you could sell them for five bucks, it'd be a miracle. Now people are lined up to pay 40 to $50 for those boxes. Wow. Okay. Which is crazy. But you guys do have a lot of Vince Carter rookie cards, which which was good. I pointed out there. It's got, got 60, to be something. 60 bucks a pop. Yeah, so you did have those. I mean, that is kind of the intersection between our two worlds. Right. We, we would use trading cards as a way to sort of uh, accessorize the frames that we already have. Yeah. And we found out recently that there is one piece that we did for Sidney Crosby in which we had several cards. And one of those cards has actually become fairly valuable. We didn't really put two and two together. We didn't really wow. know that when we were doing wow. it. Uh, and I guess that's just sort of the nature of, of cards in, in general. Yeah. You mentioned how, how the industry has changed and how it had sort of a dark period. Yes. Um, what is the major difference between, uh, it seems as though what you've said or from, from what I've read, your favorite era is about late seventies for, for, for cards. Is that late about 70s, right? 80s? Yeah. And yeah. what, what is the main difference between cards from back then and cards nowadays? Uh, cards back then were just innocent, right? It was yeah. just, uh, OPG had, Terrible cardboard quality. They <laughs> they replaced their whatever they cut their cards with about once every six years. So when you go back and you, you see that Gretzky rookie and it's got almost like fur hanging off the side. <laughs> oh, that's because yeah. whatever razors or blades they were using to cut with weren't sharpened. And and uh, but now I mean Upper Deck the technology they use is amazing. The photography is just it's absolutely incredible. I mean, just a, a lot of people and and plus there's you know you there's Different brand, like so. Upper Deck will release their just their normal set, and then they'll release Upper Deck the Cop, which is five hundred bucks for a bot for a tin, basically for a pack of five cards. Right. So there's all kinds of range. Where back in the day, it was just a quarter a pack. Yeah. Uh, Upper Deck changed the game when they came around in 1990, but uh, just the technology that's used, the photography is amazing. Some of the cards I love from when I was a kid that I still have today is just the worst photos you could imagine. Yeah. It's just. Like, there's a Dave Farish card when he played for the Leafs, and it's literally, it's just, like, half of his face just sticking out, <laughs> sticking out beyond the sanction, and that's his card. It's just awesome, and that, that wouldn't float today. But those are the ones I love, but what Upper Deck does with the cards, it's just, well, it's like what you guys do, right? Like, you take it to, take it to a different you level. You introduce technology. You know, yeah. I was going to say, it also comes down to people buying into whatever they're putting out. Correct. Now, they brought out, and again, I'm not the card expert you are, but I'll get your take on this because it might lead into what's happening now in the marketplace. Sure. You've got the, the, when people need to buy into these things, they put a little piece of jersey in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Now, really is that jersey that. worth anything? It's a cut-up jersey. Matter of fact, uh, you know, you take a game-worn jersey, which I think, in my mind, has value because it's the jersey he wore. Sure. Now you cut it up into little tiny pieces. Yeah, that's sacrilegious to some people. Yeah, yeah. I like had a guy be. come to me with a Ted Williams jersey and saying, hey, if I cut this up and oh. put it into a bunch of friends, I said, I, I won't do that. Right. I said, take it somewhere else. Right. I'm not doing it. I could get 500 frame job out of it. Yeah. I don't want to see that jersey. It should be in the Hall of Fame. Right. So, but Upper Deck does it, and hopefully, you know, they're not... George Vesna's pads were cut up by, I think it was in the game or some company Ooh. a few years ago. I know the guy that was in charge of it. He's like, I did that. I was like, what? Oh. So it's, but right. It's but all if they buy into it. Then it's fine. Right. Then, it's all and, personal taste. Right? And now those cards are highly sought after collectibles and the value is there. The autograph cards, of course, well, an autograph's an autograph. Sure. But little pieces. I mean, Frameworth took the nets from 
hockey games, cut them into pieces and put them into frames. Sure. So that net would have been used and thrown away. So mm -hmm. at least we, we preserved it and you got a little piece of that. So we kind of participate in it. Uh, there's certain things I will and won't do. But that leads into, like, if people believe in it, then it, it's worth it. Right. But they got to continue to believe right. it. Right. Well, that's the thing with cards, too, is, right, some people just want to collect the base set. Some people want to collect just jersey cards. Some people want to collect just autograph cards. So it has branched out. So I guess you're bringing more people into the pool, which, which, is, which is smart business. Yeah, but for me, I mean, if it's some guy's jersey card, that doesn't really float my boat right but right. for my neighbor maybe that's that's his thing seems what? like you're you're a bit more of a purist i'm a purist I'm a, I'm a romantic absolutely absolutely can you can you tell the story of uh what what i found to be one of the most interesting uh mix-ups or mess-ups in uh, in the 70s of, of cards of terry crisp uh people people who know oh, you crispy, are yeah. You, yeah that was a beauty yeah so so crispy's an awesome guy right uh coach in the 1989 stanley cup champion calgary flames a Broad Street bully, uh, awesome broadcaster with Nashville, just a, like just a wicked dude. And uh, if you know what Terry Crisp looks like, he probably was five ten back five in the 10. day when he played. Yep. You know, kind of a solid guy, left-handed shot, and uh, his seventy-five, seventy-six Opeachy ended up with uh, Don Seleski yeah. on his card, yeah. and Don Seleski. Crispy gave you the story. They call him Big Bird, right? Like, just like Larry Robbins, a big, tall drink of water. And I mean, back in the day, again, that's going back to how innocent it was. If the photographer is in Washington and he takes a picture of Don Seleski and he thinks it's Terry Crisp, he just writes down Terry Crisp, goes in the file, it goes to everybody. So Don Seleski's on Terry Crisp's card. And another favorite of mine is uh, our, our buddy Steve Ludzik and Steve Larmer. Uh, their rookie cards are mixed up. So oh. Larmer's on the Ludzik card and Ludzik's on the Larmer <laughs> card or the other way around, depending on how you look at it. It's yeah. like Finkel is Einhorn, Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel. Yeah, right? yeah. You, don't, you don't really know. So, uh, yeah, so Ludzik and Larmer are best buddies. Uh, they're in New Brunswick together, playing junior in Moncton. And this is the story Ludzik tells me about this. He's like, you know what? It, it shouldn't have surprised us that our cards got mixed up. You know, we, you know same initials. And, and they're rooming together in Moncton. And so every Sunday night, they'd go and do their laundry together. And their, their thing was they were getting a little annoyed because they were mixing their underwear up and their <laughs> stuff like that. So they go, let's initial it. So they both initial it SL and chuck it in the laundry. And then halfway through the cycle, they kind of go, hey, you're SL, I'm SL. <laughs> so that didn't work. But their rookie cards are mixed up. And it's just, uh, like, that's a cool thing. Like, Ledgy and Larry, there's from you know god bless Ludzi, we love him he's going through some tough times and he such gets great sense of humor and and they're linked by yeah. that that rookie but let me ask you this i just qu quickly how does that affect the value of the cards that's right it's like a stamp that's wrongly minted and right then... if they find it and change it and there's a short supply of the air the air will be worth more yeah if they don't find it it is what it is, what it is, what it is. Okay. Yeah, we had, I remember way back, uh, you, dad had given me the collection of uh, your dad's stamps after he had passed away. So it's interesting you bring up stamps. And I remember going through them to try to see if I could find any value. And there was one very specific stamp, which I located online and okay. found out it was worth like $50,000, except the valuable ones are the ones where there's a slight printing error on right. it. The one I had was just a regular print right. run and it was therefore 
Where is that stamp collection? <laughs> I uh, I sold it to uh, Ken actually. Ken helped me go through yeah. and, and and sell it. He said he said there wasn't much of value in there, so I, I don't know if that's. I know where it is. I've letters. got it. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So air cards are they're kind of fun, and there's I mean there's the airbrush cards too, where guys that get traded, they paste the guy's head and oh, the guy's wow. body. I love those. That's so amazing. That doesn't happen anymore, right? We right. have technology now, but I, I like that stuff from back. In the it day. also kind of captures sort of a uh, we mentioned bygone era as well, but you have someone like Henry Boucher wearing a headband in his. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's got the headband for the Kansas City Scouts back in the day. The mustaches from back in the day, I love. Yeah, like just I'm surprised. Different you helmets, don't... man. Different helmets from back in the day. You don't try to rock the 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 mustache. I feel I feel like that's something you should bring back. I've had it before, but it's not convincing. It's not not convincing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I look Fair. like I should be dry, uh, you know operating the tilt whirl when I have a mustache. Uh, you guys, you guys have both mentioned already at one point one specific card, and I feel like anyone who knows nothing about hockey cards knows about the Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us how you ended up marking yours with a marker by mistake uh -huh. and why it's now no longer valuable? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when I was a kid, the one card I wanted was the Wayne Gretzky rookie card. But it's funny when, when I was a young collector, you'd never see them. Yeah. You'd never see them. And I assume it's because everybody was hoarding, hoarding them. Right? Them, yeah. Like you'd go to a show with 200 tables and you would not see a Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Wow. And it was a, uh, and now you go to a show and they're everywhere. Right? At, at this point, would they have known? Would collectors oh, yeah. have known it was, it was going to be? It was worth like a thousand bucks. Okay, back even then. even back then, okay. in 1989, 1990, it was worth a thousand bucks. But you'd never see it. Maybe 800. It used to say in the guide. But uh, so when I was a kid, I I wanted the Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Wayne's my favorite player. I tried to be just like Wayne. And Mom still says, "Always be humble and kind, just like Wayne Gretzky." Ah, there you go. I like that. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's true. And uh, so Mom had gone to an auction in a town called Westville in Picta County. Picta County. Yeah, which is 15 minutes from Picto, and we'd fight guys from Westville. <laughs> and, uh, it's really sharks versus yeah, uh, yeah, 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 jets. Exactly. And she came back with this box. She said she got it for 10 bucks. It was a box of cards. And Mom is still my biggest supporter with collecting. She knows I love my cards. So my brother and I start look through it, and we're like, oh, my God, it's the blue cards, which is the 7980 set. Like, do you think there's a Gretzky rookie in here? So my brother and I are going through them. <gasps> there it is. Halfway through, my brother and I start hugging. We're freaking out. Oh, oh, my God. And then we're like, boom. We're Domi and Probert. We just dropped, like, you know when Domi oh. and Probert, like, we just look at each other, and we start fighting. We didn't say a word, but we just started fighting. <laughs> And we're fighting over that card because there's only one. And we're just beating the hell out of each other. <laughs> Mom's about where Brian is. Stop, stop, stop. So we stop like this. Mom was like, you know, Swede knocks the linesman. She's like, share it, share it. And we're like, I guess we could. And we just stopped fighting. So we put it in a case. And we're looking at it. We're so excited. And for some reason, whoever had owned it previous to us, it just marked it a little bit with the marker on the Oilers logo. So that, of course, affects the value of it. But to be honest, we didn't care. Uh, yeah. It was our card. And, I, and so my brother and I like to say we share custody of the Gretzky rookie. It lives at my house. Okay. Peter visits every couple of weeks. He gets to see it. <laughs> and it's something that, and the reason I love the card so much is it reminds, it's my favorite player, mm -hmm. right? My all-time favorite player. So that, it links me to my mom who, somehow bought this box for me and always supported my collecting and it links me to my brother and it's got the story behind it uh and if i 
needed $1,500, I could sell it, but I'd much rather have it. And that's, that's kind of what collecting to me is all about. It's like having something that you prize. The episode you guys had Daryl on, yeah. was, you guys were talking about how people just want a piece of that tent. Yeah, yeah, night. yeah. And that, to me, as a kid, I mean, my Wayne Gretzky memories are immense. The 87 Canada Cup, the 84 Canada Cup, the Oilers winning those cups, meeting him in 1985 after an Oilers exhibition game against the Buffalo Sabres in Halifax uh, at a at a, an event sponsored by Moosehead Breweries. And my yeah. brother and I were the only ones in it, running around like a couple of madmen. And everyone's <laughs> going, who are these two kids? And all the Oilers thought it was great. Um so that's why the Gretzky card to me ties it, all the memories. Right, it's all the memories, and it's funny. Like my mom's like, "Your Gretzky card's worth a million dollars." Mom, it's not. <laughs> the Gretzky card that was graded PSA ten is worth is the one that sold but for the crazy price. When you go through that, that PSA. So I understand that that was a bit of a mistake too. That, is that card actually still a ten? Or yeah. Was that well, a here's the thing. Uh, it was graded a ten. But We're talking about the card that sold for what two hundred what four fifty yeah something yeah like yeah, that. yeah so it was graded a ten apparently another ones were graded a ten so this is where things get a little dicey in the collecting world it used to be if if the three of us were debating the grade of a card we'd look at it and we'd say you know what that's a V that's very good to excellent and I'd say no that's just very good mm -hmm. and Mikey you'd say no that's excellent right so we'd bicker and. Then maybe we'd come to an agreement and we'd agree on a price. We'd fight like two Reed brothers over we'd a Gretzky fight card. Like yeah. two Reed yeah. brothers, exactly. So then the grading companies come out and PSA says, "Well, you know, we'll be an independent grader and we'll grade it a five. Okay, and then say, "Okay, it's a five. So then there's a Gretzky graded a ten, and I look at it and I'm like, "I've seen better Gretzkys than that." I I once upon a time had a PSA eight Gretzky, hmm. and uh, like there's better Gretzkys than that. And so now. Having it in the case isn't enough for some guys. They're like, well, oh, that's a seven, but oh, it's got wow. the eye appeal of a six. Well, wow. that's a strong seven because it's got the eye appeal of an eight. And I'm like, oh, for God's sakes. Like, <laughs> we've just hired somebody, paid them money to grade this, and now we're going to argue over their decision. That's right. like Judge Wapner saying, okay, you owe me, this is the decision, and then us going out and debating. Well, that the decision is the decision. Right, right. But because it's not legally binding... And there's no court over it. There's still subjectivity there. It's still subjectivity, okay. right? Now, I, I like though you, we were kind of getting into something that I did want to touch on a little bit. And it, that is the sentimentality of collecting. For yeah. you, it's trading cards. For a lot of people, it's autographs. It's memorabilia yeah. in general. Uh, for me, you know, video games, comic books, things yeah. like that. Um, I, I, I know that you had uh, sort of gone on the record and talked about how trading cards had actually gotten you through kind of a rough yeah. point in your life around yeah. 15 years old. Uh, and, and I don't know how much you're, you're willing to get into it. It's a fascinating article. Um, uh, you, you go into detail about the struggles you've had with depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it, it's for those of you who think it's a weird thing to bring up right now, yeah. I caution you against thinking that because the whole point is that in these things that some people may dismiss, there comes the ability to really see yourself through a dark period. Yeah. Um, and, and is that to you, is that just trading cards? Is there anything else that you think has that overwhelming sentimentality and a sense of something bigger that can get you through this? Well, I mean, for, for, for a lot of people, if they're going through a struggle, they might like to go for a walk or they'll sure. like to read. For me as a kid, I was just painfully shy. I yeah. know that might be hard for people to understand. You guys will see me get up and do my MC thing. Yeah. Here. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, but I was, I was painfully shy and my buddies would go out on Friday nights and they'd go out on Saturday nights and I was 15, 16 and I'd go up in my room and, you know, I'd 
start digging through my cards and sorting my cards. And they were just a way for me to probably to distract myself from what was really going on in my brain. It would take my mind off things. It would kind of just relax me. And it's funny too, because I find if I go through my cards now, it just relaxes me. Yeah. Like, you know what? It's not medically prescribed, but it, it works for me. Almost Rather, like a mantra, like a, like yeah, a meditation it's mantra. Your, like yeah. my yoga. So, yeah, and yeah. I have done yoga, but now I got whatever. I, won't get into <laughs> it. I like it, but I'm not flexible. Um, some people read, some people walk, some people play sports. I, I find my cards very relaxing. So yeah, so that's probably why I also like them. That the, They just make me feel relaxed. They, they, they're associated with the game I love. So yeah, I, I had bad anxiety, depression for a lot of years. Um, I treat it now which is great and I, f- I feel excellent now. I feel better than I ever felt in my life but yeah the, the cards were they were kind of there for me right they cardboard doesn't talk back so that, <laughs> that was a good thing I think I think a lot of people appreciate you being open about that as well uh, especially those who find some sort of solace in something similar and often get sort of shooed away and, and you know what's funny too is, is now during the pandemic and cards have just boomed in the last year they've come back like crazy in a pandemic so we're going in this pandemic and i think man all my cards are gonna they're gonna just shoot down in value and i'm not always in it for the value but hey let's be honest when stuff's worth something you want it to be worth something of course and they cards have just gone through the roof and i think because pandemic so everybody digs through their closets they want to see what they got and maybe they get the bug back but also i mean you have to do something your discretionary income has to go somewhere so you go cards you go memorabilia it, it, it's a link to the game we love that was put off for a yes. while. So there's That's all huge. kinds of stuff out there. Yeah, yeah so good. I'm, I, the, the memorabilia business, card business in general through this pandemic is has gone through the roof. Which, um, did you expect that going into this? Did you think, I oh, was just trying to survive. Right. And what we found was we, at the beginning of it, we were, we were selling off whatever. We had a lot of inventory, stuff that we could never move. So we just said, okay, whatever we can sell, let's sell and keep yeah. the place open. Sure. Uh, and there was only five of us working at the beginning. Uh, and then uh, as time went on, uh, we, we just realized the demand was there and we could get, you know, better pricing than cost and a little better than, you know, wholesale. And all of a sudden, um, Sydney's prices have gone through the roof. Uh, Wayne Gretzky's prices, Upper Deck, I think, uh, bumped their prices by 30% in wow. one fell swoop. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, thereabouts anyways i mean his price has gone through the roof so all the big name guys and then of course you know we've got nfts and all that stuff which we can talk about too but yeah no i think it's the same thing you got to find something to do i buried myself in here right and literally have not taken very many days off since october well i had fun that day coming over and looking through your stuff like to me that's fun right Right. that's like going through and i think that's what a lot of people have been doing right an excuse i mean you know one thing we all had in common or most of us had in common during the pandemic was more time on our hands right you know time to go back to the things like the hobbies that we had like like playing cards and going through them um we have spoken a lot about the sentimentality of trading cards uh and what that means to you how you're more about the overall look and feel and and essentially the tangibility of a card you dad just mentioned nfts non-fungible tokens now ken are you familiar with this trend that's going on because i think there's a direct relation yep. to trading cards totally understand the top shot thing yes get it the nhl has to get on that mm-hmm. brian you and i are saying before to me the amazing thing is and we talked about this on tim and friends on sportsnet <laughs> that when the nba sells it 
and the Players Association, if they're on it, they get 5% of every time it sells, which is amazing to me because when you buy a pack of cards, the league and the PA get their 13% or whatever off the $1 sale of the pack, and that's history. Right. But it's in this bank, and every time it sells, the NBA gets a chunk, which is just a brilliant business plan. I'm off. Look, if people want to, people can collect whatever the hell they want. I'm probably not going to line up to buy one because yeah. it, it's it just doesn't do it for me. But for a lot of people, it will, and it's. I mean, I don't know. Possibilities to me seem pretty wild. The more and more people, so Mikey, you're much more in tune with that world than than I am. I'm an old school guy. So, and I am. And yeah, you got. I mean, to me, it's art you can't hang on the wall, mm-hmm. and it's. Uh, as, as uh, some articles I've read, I'm trying to understand it more. There is something to it, and it's more of a, uh, I think, really, if you believe it, it's worth it. Well, before, and the more before, people believe it. Yeah, the, the more value it has, like anything, like any currency, really. But before, before we get into sort of our thoughts on it, just for the listener, in case the listener hasn't heard of NFTs and isn't sure what they are. As I mentioned, it's called non-fungible token, which is the sexiest word we've ever been able to apply to any new piece of technology. There's a very important distinction, though. The NFT itself is a essentially a, a code that you can use to track the the uniqueness of an item. So Top Shot, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, Ken, is a a essentially a digital trading card is what they're yeah. trying to mimic. Mm-hmm. That itself is not the NFT. The NFT is the technology behind that card, which makes it unique. So there's a lot of possibility here. My fear in the world of NFTs is that we're looking to parallel to what trading cards are. So right now it's essentially like a GIF or a video of mm-hmm. a player doing something that you could find anywhere online. And it's unique to you because you own the, essentially the, the blockchain recognition. The code, that's, like zero, yeah. zero. One. Right, zero, right. Zero, two. So for those of you who know Bitcoin, um, it's a very similar, and cryptocurrency in general, it's a very similar premise where you have a, a constantly functioning ledger that's being run by all of uh, these different by computers, everyone. by everyone who's, who's taking part in it, that's constantly checking so that there's no way to fake where one of these elements of code have gone. So it's a very, and it's not centralized. It's, it's not centralized? It's not centralized. Okay. So basically you have these people out there who are running their computers constantly to essentially check double check, triple check, run everything to make sure that all the transactions are being accounted for. So no one person can really change anything. So once you've introduced this token, the token being that line of code that can sort of track and, and determine what the uniqueness so of the item. So I could introduce an NFT of me going like this to the world? You literally could. You literally, there you go. There, Ken, Ken's looking in the camera okay. for those of you on, uh, who What's aren't on YouTube. Like a dime? Well, I mean, it's, 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 Here's what a lot of people, there, there is so much buzz about this because it's almost as though the gold rush is something that everyone can take part in without having to go to San Francisco. Right. You just have to log in online. So everyone is thinking, this is my shot. So the New York Times wrote an article about NFTs, then created a picture of that article, put it into the blockchain and sold it. I want you guys to guess what you think that article sold for. $1,000. Higher. 15. Higher. 20,000. Higher. How long are we going to You guys got to go with yeah, $140,000. Are you now? So, 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 stop, stop here for a second, Mikey, because I'm trying to understand this. So, this chain is just, I can introduce anything to it. So, it runs on a so platform. I, so, if I introduce an NFT, and I'm dead serious, yeah, of like, I don't know, the three of us just going like this, yeah, and we put it out there. Someone can buy it for whatever, right, and own own that. But they have Who gets to, the money though when they pay it. I get it. You you would get it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's fucking go. Let's do yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> Except for 
whoever is buying it has to believe that it's worth something. Right. But if they buy it, their money's poof. They're gone. You got it. Now he's hoping to resell it to some other dude. Or just hope, like, or hang on to it. There, you got to keep in mind, like, this is right now a market. Everyone thinks that they're going to screw someone over and get, like, a bunch of money. But this is a market right now for people with a ton of expendable income, just like the art world is a market for people sure, with a ton of expendable sure, income. Sure. If you own a Warhol, a, a unique, like, a, an original Warhol. Yeah. That's in a warehouse somewhere. It's sure. very rare that that's hanging on your wall. So this argument of these things need to be physical, otherwise I don't want them, is not something that applies to most people who are spending this so much that's money what on you're them. Telling to Brian and I, because we're like, okay, I've got this, I can put it on my wall. Well, own. so right. we are exploring as a as a company, yeah, uh, NFTs right now for our players mm -hmm. and for products that we create. As you know, so I think in general. Um, you know, when you say us putting our thumbs up, well, people don't maybe don't get that as clearly. You can make that worth something. There's little kitty cats that are out in the marketplace that some company yep. created that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's just an image of a cat. And there's different kinds of cats, and you can breed the cats. I don't know how but, that all But works. what it boils down to is the, is perceived value. Like any, it's like any faith. Like anything. A card is literally a piece of card. And that's why I wanted to bring this up is because there is this argument that NFTs or, you know, the, the products that they represent. Because an NFT itself would be essentially the certificate of authenticity mm -hmm. that you cannot forge. So it's very valuable. But the item that it represents, whether it's an image online, whether it's uh, a, a kitty cat is the thing that people have to have faith in having a value. So mm -hmm. I can go online and look at a picture of a Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Yes. But that rookie card itself is what gives it its value. Owning it is what gives it its value. You, you know what? When you put it that way, you're absolutely correct. Because a card, piece of card, a card is literally a piece of card. That's it. So what is the value is whatever we perceive it to be. Whatever we say it is. Sounds exactly So that's like how you get into understanding what that's it is. That's a great is. way to put it. But it's still something that... Every time I talk to somebody that's talking about this, they say, I don't get it, but I but want to make some money off it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So so when you put this, like, is it NFT.com? How do I put no, it? No, so it runs on a platform. So as far as cryptocurrencies and blockchain go, Bitcoin is the one that a lot of people know. A lot of people know Dogecoin because it's kind of a joke that Elon Musk has now pumped up and it's actually getting a lot of value. But there's another platform uh, or system called Ethereum. And that's that's what most of these NFTs are running on. Requires a lot of computing power. Ethereum? Wasn't that an album Def Lever put out in 87? No, that was <laughs> you, Hysteria. No, that is the soundtrack actually to NFTs. No. no yeah, it plays in the background. No, no, of course not. <laughs> um, I'm like, I'm really into NFTs now. Yeah, exactly. I love Def yeah. Leppard. I know NFTs off by heart, front to back. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. So, so what it what it comes down to is is it running on this platform Ethereum, but you can sort of tap into that. Like, like imagine it like this: anyone can create a piece of art. I can draw on a napkin and create a piece of art, okay. but you can put it out in the marketplace now, and it's all being tracked. But how do I put? My question is: How do I put it out there? Do I log on to something? Yeah. So, so the the there are a few processes in order to get your uh, your NFT essentially recognized by the blockchain on Ethereum. There are websites that'll do that for you. You can design a whole video, image, whatever, and then like to to sort of 
put it in simplest terms, you you register it with you know on that Ethereum platform, mm-hmm. and now it exists as something that's trackable and traceable. And it's, it's a relatively easy thing to do. I was going to gonna say, is it simple as click, 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 or it has to be approved by the NFT No, there's board. no one who can repro- approve it because it's so not centralized. So I can take my child's art yes. and make an NFT on it? You can make an NFT on it, and this is what interests people, is if I'm if I'm Picasso, which yes. a lot of people think I am. Sure you it's, are. It's yes. bizarre, yeah. Uh, must be something to do with the ears, I'm not sure. Um, the if, if I'm... No, that was, that was Van Gogh. Well, you know, I said ears plural, so oh, that's Picasso's. True, that's true. <laughs> let's move past it. Um, but if uh, essentially I can, uh, if, if I'm creating a great piece of art and I sell it to someone, that's the end of my relationship to that piece of art, mm-hmm. right? As, as the artist. But as you mentioned, Ken, if you have ownership over the NFT or you've created it, you can build in a royalty for yourself so that every time it sells, uh, you, like you get something. The, the, the one thing that very few people are talking about right now unless it's happening internally over at Getty Images. Getty Images, for the listener who's not aware, is essentially a database of, of images. And if you use them as a licensee of Getty, you essentially have to pay royalties for every image you use. Now, if they can track digitally who is using that, I don't have to report to them that I've used it in an item from Frameworth. It's automatically being used. So NFTs are, are a concept that actually fills a hole that exists now, regardless of whether or not you like digital cats. There's, there's a, there's a, a solution here to codify and make unique and traceable anything. Physical it's timely. It's timely because I believe today is when Austin Matthews NFTs. Right. So here's the issue that I'm dealing with right now with my athletes uh, that I work with is the criticism that you get. So you either believe in this stuff and are progressive and right. understand it or try to understand it and, and, approve of it as a new type of um, commerce. But uh, so, so those people are very positive. But I was, re- I was watching some of the tweets that are going about this stuff, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of very positive ones, but there's a lot of very negative ones. This is a cash grab. What the hell but, is but, it doing? But people also oppose to a paid. There's people who say, I don't support a paid autograph sign. Right, right, exactly. Right, right. So you, you can never make everybody happy. And so what I want to uh, do is a broadcaster. To... I get you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I want to make every, So if we get into this venture with some of our guys, we want to make sure that it's in the most positive light. Yeah. Right. So, so we'll explore that. And I do want to leave some time to talk about Eddie's book. So, but, but let's finish up here. Sure. Yeah. We uh, imagine trying to explain an NFT to Eddie. Oh, but <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's that's an interesting thing, is because you know, purely or exactly because of what we talked about, which is NFTs uh, or or the the digital assets live and die off of our perception of their value. A lot of these companies are going to you know, older hockey players, current hockey players, because every person that they get to sort of co-sign it lends legitimacy to it sure. purely by their association. We had Daryl Sittler and he was talking about the potential of doing something with his uh, uh, game-worn uh, Canada Cup jersey. And, oh, and yeah, associating the goal. Man. Yeah, associating an well, NFT with that. Well, here's the problem with that that I just noticed. When I looked at uh, Matthews uh, offering the NFT, it had no uh, NHL marks on it. Mm. And so... Uh, the NBA, I think, has signed on to this so they can use the marks. But it was very obvious to me as somebody that's a licensee of the NHL and the PA and all that that the marks were not on the on the image that I saw, and that's obviously due to legal uh, Yeah, issues. but if Austin does it that way, then that, that, Still that an value, NFT. the value is his, and he doesn't have to pay to right. the league. Right, he doesn't have and... to 
participate. Now, no, the way to just to explain that to people who aren't fully aware of how the licensing might work on that, there is the NHLPA license, the Players Association, and mm -hmm. the NHL League license. With the League license, you have the right to use images like the logos on a jersey, the arenas, et cetera, et cetera. With the Players Association license, you can use the likeness of the players themselves. But if you don't have the League Association license, you can't, for example, show a player in a jersey, which is why in a lot of these generic commercials that you watch uh, with a hockey player, they'll have the colors of their sure, NHL team, yeah. but not the logo because yeah. that's a no-no unless you're paying royalties to the NHL and that's just to sort of separate that difference there yeah um let's let's talk a little bit I I uh you know we don't know when you'll be back Ken I'd love to have you on every episode if we could but I I do want to make sure that we touch on uh the project that we most recently worked together on which you wrote which was Eddie Shack's book uh and and that that book was a project that was ongoing for almost like a, a full year, you know, getting the stories. It was pretty quick, though. It was, it? well, listen. Faster it, than a speeding The bullet, listener yeah. doesn't know this, but uh, my dad will enter into any industry, and if he wants something done, he wants it done quicker than the best of those industries uh, it can get fast. it done. It was very fast. <laughs> yeah, your dad called me, and he, Brian, you said, how about we do an Eddie Shack book? I said, sure, let's look into it. And when do you need it by? And I think you said, I think you called me. I said in, for Christmas. For Christmas. And I think you called me in around April or May. And right. I said, well, I'm working on a different book, and that's insane. And you said, well, let's <laughs> rock and roll. Well, no. Actually, what you said was, okay, so this was, I think, 19, uh, sorry, 2019. Yeah. And Christmas would have been 2019. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Christmas so you said, so yeah. Christmas uh, 2020. 2020. <laughs> and I said, no, this Christmas. <laughs> And you said, what? Yeah. I said, I said, look, you never know what's going to happen. And, of course, yeah. you know, that leads well, to the story. Um, it was fortuitous. We mentioned fortuitous. That, first, that, uh, that we did it at the time. You were amazing yeah. putting that together. But it was a work of passion, right? It was a work of passion. We didn't become millionaires. But what I think the next book should be the book about doing the book with Eddie. <laughs> oh. Because, like, for me, and I've said this to you, it was, a, it was a treat to hang out with Eddie and to get to know Eddie. And, man, you talk about a guy that just was his own man. And I think about how, you know, I've got, I got, I get the emails all, or tweets all the time. Oh, I'm offended by this. I, well, Eddie wasn't. Yeah. And it, it was awesome. And it was a fast book to put together. I'm still trying to find an Eddie Shack rookie card. Oh. I got Brad Hartland down in Halifax looking for one for me. <laughs> but to, to do a book with Eddie Shack, to do it that quickly, to hang out with him was absolutely amazing. And the way the book turned out wasn't, that wasn't our plan going in. It was a, our plan going in was a 60,000 to 80,000 word book, just right, your generic right. hockey book. And pictures meant so much to Eddie. I can see why he liked hanging out here because there's yeah. pictures everywhere. Yeah. It's pictures in his garage. And as we started to go into it, I remember us talking, we have to have pictures in this. And then it evolved into what it was. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, and Richard McCorkle and, uh, oh, yeah. and Sandra here did a great job putting that, uh, the whole thing together. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a combination between a, a coffee table book and a, and a great story. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I initially got the idea is Eddie used to come in here virtually every day. <laughs> yeah. He'd stir up shit. He'd be in here for, you know, uh, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour. He'd see everybody in the place, yep. start talking to everybody. Um, we call him Mr. HR violation. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, whatever he came to his mind, he'd say in front of whoever it was. And in this day and age, that's pretty tough to get by. But nobody would complain. And I went around, made sure everybody 
was okay with the language he used and that because we'd have a problem if he wasn't. Everybody gave me the okay. And then he said, he'd just come into my office and start telling stories. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, you got to get these down in a book. Mm -hmm. And that's when I made the call to Ken. I said, somebody's got to write these. It's not going to be me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and then we put that book together in about four or five months. Fast, man. We went on tour. Because I I was going to ask what was more enjoyable, writing it or touring with Eddie afterwards to various places across Canada? Well, for me, because Ken, the, the one big day that we had, we did about, six or seven uh, stops and Ken was with us for breakfast television at the yeah. beginning and, and all that. Fun. But I had, I was at the end of the day with him right, and right. I'll let Ken get into some of the stops, but I was at, at the end of the day after a full day and ending up signing autographs at the hockey game. Right. Yeah. And in the, in, in one of the stores there and then at the players lounge and a few pops with him uh-huh. and I'm driving him home. Uh huh. And it's 10 o'clock at night, so now it's been like a 14-hour a day. Wow. And he says, come on in for a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep my eyes open, and Eddie's come on in for well, a glass and, of wine, but yeah. remember that day. And, and keep in mind, this is, uh, I'm sure this is knowledge at this point, but at this point, he had already received a cancer diagnosis. So he's, no, 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 no. This no, is prior to that? Mid-January? Yeah. It was oh, okay. right after Christmas. Okay. Yeah. So. Regardless to have that much energy. Oh, at that, but, yeah. man, he would say stuff at book signings when people walk in that I won't repeat here that if I did, <laughs> I'd be handcuffed. And, and I was just, and people loved it. And the, the, I always say the beautiful thing about Eddie was when people met Eddie, he knew that they wanted, they didn't want to meet Ed. They wanted yeah. to meet Eddie Shaq. The entertainer. And if it was 30 seconds or Two minutes or 30 minutes, he gave them the Eddie Shack experience. All the time. Kissing babies. Awesome. The language that would come oh, out. it's gorgeous. I loved but, it. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the, this cancel culture wouldn't go by. No. Nope. Eddie is the, is the anti-cancel yep. culture. He would be completely opposite. The cancel culture would have such a hard time existing. If, if oh, he wouldn't be, care, first no, off. No. He'd, be, he'd be Teflon and, to it. And like... What would he say? Uh, don't behave yourself, be yourself. Right. And I love that. I yeah. love that. It was old school. And for me, the, the most fun was literally sitting here doing stories and then sitting in his garage at his house yeah. doing stories. Where and he had 23 photos 23 of himself. 23 photos, and he loved it. And we'd be wrapping up. He'd say, you want a glass of wine? I'd say, no, i got to go to work tonight. Ah! <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you'd go in his house, and there was one puck on the wall. I remember I go, what's that puck there? He goes, well, I don't know what the hell that is. So I told him it's his 200th whatever goal with the Buffalo Sabres and and then you go up into his house, and I, I met his wife, Norma, and she's this quiet, you know, lady, like real, a lady. Like, yes. And Eddie's got one of his, you know, he's got some weird piece in his house that he bought at an auction for 25 grand when he was half corked. <laughs> and like, just, just awesome stories. And oh. everything, I don't know what it was. But if Eddie was in a world with NFTs, he'd buy half the NFTs drunk and then he'd cash in on them. Like he, everything he bought half snapped at an auction, he made money on. For, for a guy who, who you know, self-professed couldn't read, yeah. uh, he found many ways to oh. make much money. Ed, Eddie might not understand NFTs and he'd tell you that they're a joke or whatever, he'd make but money he'd off make them. money off them. He'd yeah. make money off. And you know what the one thing I, I really, I always kind of, I always thought it going in because, you know, I, I have, I've I've encountered people in my life that have been illiterate, but one thing I learned from Eddie is you don't know you don't have to be you don't have to know how to read to be brilliant. 
And yeah. Eddie was a brilliant guy in his own way. He really like, was. Like, never like Jack, Val- Jack, Jack Falaket said in the book, Eddie couldn't read or write, but he could count. One million, <laughs> two million, three million. And, and Phil Esposito used to say, you know, we'd be the Boston Bruins, we'd be on the bus, and Eddie couldn't read, but he'd, he'd be reading the stocks in the newspaper. So, you know, something was a little amiss there. I'll tell you what, if you haven't read the book, and, I, you know, the book is a bestseller. Is it? Out, of, out of the trunk of our car, basically. Yeah, we did it old school. Um, yep. Indigo took them on, uh, but it was too late to put in most stores. Yeah. Uh, Amazon had them. But Eddie and I went from place to place. Yeah. And we'd, uh, we'd go from store to store, and we'd sell them, and he'd sign all the books. And what a beautiful signature oh, in, in the yeah. perfect. That silver pen looks so good on the blue background, doesn't yeah. it, in the book? As you a know, matter of fact, I just thought of something. You know what? So some of the people listening today, uh, we'll, uh, we're going to run a contest for this anyways. Mikey will announce it a little later. But I think today we'll give away, um, let's give away five books, nice. signed books. Nice. I have some signed by you too, Ken, okay, the cool. writer. And we'll give away five books, and we'll and just go to frameworth.com, and you and we'll post it in the next few days of how you can win it. You just really have to make it known that we'll ask a question that came sure. from this thing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, you'll you'll get the tag and everything after this, but it's at Frameworth Sport, and we'll announce yeah. the details of that giveaway. You know what's so cool about the book too is so many people. You mentioned Richard. So many people made it happen because like the writing part was what one tenth of what went into it because right. it's just it's funny you know I, i've written a bunch of books and this is the only one i did that that's this style it's we it's funny we've been talking about art that book is a piece of art if you just put it up on your shelf it looks it looks well cool. you know the other thing too is how many people wanted to contribute so yes. the funny thing was um eddie would tell a story and then you would talk to Norma after his yep, wife, yep. and she'd contradict it. Yes. Or she'd said that this is what Norma's thoughts yeah, were. Yeah, Norma's what was really cool was I phoned Wayne Gretzky. He wanted to write a little story about yeah. his, his thing. Phil Esposito. Uh, you, you just go through all the people that contributed, including Hall, Bobby Hall. Bobby Hall. They, these guys were all, and they all had a great story well, about them. And, and, and again, for you guys, thank you, because, I mean, I'm driving down Eastern Avenue on my way to work, and my phone rings, and I'm, hello, is this Ken? Yep, what's up, man? Hey, it's Wayne Gratzky. <laughs> I'm pulling over, and, and Wayne gives me this awesome story, like, literally, I, and you know, Wayne, like, he, he'll talk, he's like me, Yeah. and uh, it's funny, um, you know, and, and we just talked about Eddie, and it was great, and he had so many fantastic memories of when Eddie played senior hockey, coming out to Brantford to play <laughs> senior and it's just, uh, it's amazing. And Eddie is a guy that, thanks to the pop shop and thanks to old-timers hockey, everybody in Canada, it seems, has They still know him. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. still, and they, yeah, they know him, yeah. So, and, you know, funny, too, because Wayne was the first person to get a book. I, oh, I really remember right. I just picture. got them delivered. I met him down at uh, Ritz for a drink, and um, I... Eddie had signed a book for me, and I gave it to, and he was the first one to open the oh, book. Oh, amazing. 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 That's a, that's yeah. a cool stat. Yeah. That brings us full circle on your uh, love of, of Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, guys. Wayne Gretzky rookie card, yeah. We're running a little bit low on time here. Before we go, I want to ask one more question. Uh, Ken, obviously over the course of your entire life collecting cards, there are some, you know, maybe misplacements, damaged cards. You sure. already mentioned the marker. What is the biggest regret when you, it comes to your collecting, and why is it giving your uh, Mario Lemieux rookie card to your buddy Craig? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, I traded my Mario Lemieux rookie to Craig, uh, but I've since reacquired a Mario Lemieux okay, rookie. Okay, there you go. That's right. I traded that. That was a bad trade. Who did uh, you, do you know who you got for it? I can't remember. It had a flimsy corner, though, so it wasn't that bad. Another one I had, I my remember God. selling Steve Eisenman rookie rookies for two bucks at the Pick the County Flea Market at the Holland Ooh. Square Mall. That's when, so when hockey cards started, their value was really low compared to baseball sure. cards. So I remember selling the, I'm an Eisenman rookie for two bucks. Yeah, trading the Lemieux rookie was a regret. Uh, the, and, and you know what another regret is? Just is when you look back through your old cards, you'll have all these cards from 1979. You'll have all these cards from 1985. And you're like, how, how come I have four of this guy, but I don't have any Mario's? Yeah, so you never yeah, know yeah, what yeah. you're going to get in a pack, right? Well, I'll tell you one. I mean, you hear these stories all the time. I was part of these stories because I go back to the 60s when I was collecting yeah. cards. Bobby. And there was Mickey Mantle cards. Uh -huh. And... Our deal was you'd collect them, and at the end of the year, you'd throw them all up, your, your whole collection up in the schoolyard and watch everybody beat the crap out of each other <laughs> to get them. Or you'd use them for shootsies. So oh, you'd, yeah. you'd take the card and you'd fire them against the wall, and the closest one to the wall would get the other guy's sure. card. Uh -huh. yeah. And if you had a leaner, that was even better because you got whatever. Or, or kissies, which was throwing all the cards against the wall until two of them landed on each other. And as soon as one overlapped the other, you got all the cards. And we wonder why the corners are all there. I was like, or say, putting yeah. them in, or putting them in the spokes of your wheels yeah. well, of, of your bike. Well, I always find the, the funniest things about cards is everybody wants them in mint condition, right? Mm -hmm. But if you find a card from 1966 that's perfect, that means... It had no my, love. <laughs> in my mind, exactly. It was given to some kid. He bought a pack. He wasn't into hockey, and the card just went away. Yeah. Those of us who loved it played yeah. flipsies. Oh. We piled them up. Yeah. And, but, but yeah, I guess my biggest regret, and it's not a regret because it's part of the fun of it, is just not getting enough of the guys in the packs. In, in uh, Hockey Card Stories 2, I did an interview with, with Wayne, again, will you name drop, and Mr. Gretzky <laughs> was kind enough to give me an interview. And he said when he was a kid, he, he was a big Bobby Hall fan and Gordy, and he always wanted those guys in his pack. And he said, nothing against Larry Goodenough, but every pack I open, I get a Larry Goodenough. Larry Goodenough. And Larry Goodenough, by the way, one of the best nicknames in hockey history, Izzy. Is he, is he, is he good enough? enough? Yeah. Oh, that's I love amazing. It. Yeah, that's love fantastic. Yeah. Uh, awesome stories. Obviously, uh, if, if you like this conversation today, Hockey Card Stories 1 and 2 are out now. I think they have audiobooks as well. I, th I think I saw Good it. Lord, I'm never recording an audio book uh, again. <laughs> I did that for the first Hockey Card Stories book. You talk about a process. Holy oh, I bet. Smokes. Yeah, I, I can barely read about it. You have to enunciate. You'd think for a broadcaster that'd be easy, but you guys know me. I'm not a broadcaster. I'm some dude who talks, right? <laughs> Uh, obviously, uh, we also have uh, another book, which which I would be fascinated to read. Uh, it's One Night Only Conversations yeah. with the NHL's One Game Wonders. That was a fun one. Yeah. That seems like you'd have a ton of interesting stories. That's like YouTube Boy. fodder with like the top yeah. 10 people who have played one great, you know, that, yeah, that sort of that thing. Was, that was fun. Uh, yeah, talking to guys who have played one game. I did another book called One to Remember on guys who scored a single goal. Nice. So, and, and, and by doing those books, you can see where my love of the common hockey for card sure. comes from. Because I would sure. say there's no such thing as a common card because everybody has a story. That's what the books did. That, that's, that's what Eddie's, Eddie's book did, man. You talk about stories. And, yeah. and, and I love looking at Eddie's old cards because it's just, it's a total journey from his, his crew cut rookie card with the Rangers. Yeah. Then you get into the 70s, he's, he's with LA. And then you get the older Leafs cards. And it's the just, mustache. You know, yeah, the mustache and the big hair and. Well, Man. you know what? We're going to have to do this again. I'd love to. I would yeah. love to get Ken back. Uh, I want an NFT of the Plager Brothers chasing him. <laughs> oh, that, that would be good. Or him jumping on the back of whatever. Right. Forget that. The, it's, I know we got to go. Uh, Ken, thank you for coming. Thanks, I, I know that uh, I'm going to tell you this. I've got a few new book ideas. Uh, <laughs> there won't be any 
anybody like uh, exactly like Eddie, but there's some great stories. People want to hear what happens behind the scenes. That's what made that book so successful. Right. And that's the nature of this podcast. Before we go, Ken, any plugs that you want to throw out there? Hey, no, just catch me on uh, Sportsnet Central every night with Ivanka Osmak, Monday through Wednesday at 10 Eastern. We're only doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday now because of the pandemic. So we have to go in and do all the all the shifts. Oh, wow. Usually Ivanka and I go in Monday to Friday and we do the 10 Eastern show. But because of the pandemic, we're only allowed so many people in the building. So, uh, you know. You do them all. Oh, big three-day work week. You know? Ooh. <laughs> and, oh, and pucks in deep. There you go. There you I'll go. Get that in there. Perfect. All right. So for Ken Reed, Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth. You can say dad. We, we can say dad. Dad himself. Uh, we are signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!